Quiet on the set. Okay, everybody, quiet on the set. Scene one, take ten, Marker. of the Modern School of Film. Welcome to Murmur. My name is Robert Malazzo, and over the next hour together, we'll explore where culture meets craft. Today on Murmur, put the flag in my hand. Writer, MC, guest speaker, you god of the Wu-Tang Clan is with us. Welcome. Welcome to Murmur. Welcome back to Murmur. Robert Malazzo here with you. I'm the founder of the Modern School of Film. With you kind of all the time. <laughs> Murmur Radio, M-U-R, M-U-R, radio.com. You can subscribe to us. You can download us. iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio. TuneIn Radio, love it. Social handles at... MSF Murmur, Twitter, Instagram, tweet, follow, retweet <laughs> to your heart's discontent. You can also email me at murmurradio at gmail.com. If you have a topic you'd like me to explore, I will take your topic and I will match the topic to a guest, give you full credit and an A plus, E for effort, A for A plus for the result. We are a school after all. A, let's say A. Let's keep you wanting more. Murmurradio at gmail.com. Murmurradio, welcome. Today on the show, you god of the Wu-Tang Clan, and I have a listener alert. A listener alert. The listener alert is this. Today's topic is... Arguably the most maddening topic I can bring to a microphone and consequently to you. The topic is legacy. It is maddening. It is madness. And we're going to go into that mouth of madness with all respect to John Carpenter and Sam Neill. We're going into the, ma- the real mouth of madness, legacy. You God of Wu-Tang Clan has a book out called Raw, and it is his Rashomon-like view of his life. And, you know, viewing one's life isn't truly Rashomon-esque because you're really observing with your eyes. But the group, the Wu-Tang Clan, there is a nine-sided slash ten-sided Rashomon-like die that is tossed when you talk about Wu-Tang Clan. And Yugat has offered his 
perspective, and it's merely a perspective, not merely, it's a perspective, it's subjective, objective, as all perspectives are. You, God, wrote about his life, his upbringing, his entry into the lore of the Wu, and then looks at the Wu-ology over the last 25 years, and it's a complicated Wu-ology. He actually is in litigation now with the group and has been before, but it hasn't stopped the team from making records. It's been a kind of push-pull ride for the guys, and that complicates their legacy. We'll talk to you, God, about that before we look at the pretzel illogic of their legacy, and we'll touch upon that today. I want to look at legacy first, and I apologize and not apologize, because this is a tough one. It's a fascinating one. It's a maddening one. It's the height of self-consciousness. It's the height of of self-reference in the sense of it's, it's paranoia to oneself. If you think of paranoia feeling that everyone else is out to get you, this is paranoia when you think you are out to get you. <laughs> There's the inner authorship of the legacy. Artists tend to deflect this topic, and I understand why, because they're living it out. They're living through it. Not all artists do, however, but I, I think if you publicly discuss the topic with a artist, they'll deflect it. This is, you know, podcasts are sort of public, private, private, public. So maybe we'll get some cool stuff. I know we're going to get honesty from you, God. The book is called Raw, and then I'm feeling something raw coming, which is kind of cool. And it's not just the phone connection, <laughs> which I'm predicting maybe a little raw. Legacy, the thicket of it is there's the inner authorship of it. There's the external receipt of it, meaning how do we define and assign legacy to an artist? What do we consider their legacy? What do they consider their legacy? And this is why smart artists tend to stay out of it. <laughs> or Maybe not smart artists, but artists who, who know what a morass it is. They try to stay out of the definition. What is their legacy? What is their piece? You know, we talk at times, I try to stay away from artists interpreting anything, let alone themselves. So I don't want to look at interpretation. I want to look at a footprint today. I want to talk to you, God, about the potential of the footprint of Wu-Tang Clan. But again, what's complicating about legacy is their legacy is still in motion. They haven't recorded together for a while, but they're all still active. ODB, Old Dirty Bastard, one of their, their core architects, passed away in 2004. Capadonna is the ninth now. So there's nine slash 10 Wu-Tang in the cosmos. So what is legacy? Where does legacy start? It's like a mosaic. It's like a mosaic built of tiles. Sidney Lumet described a movie as a mosaic. You polish each piece, you put it adjacent to the next piece, and ultimately you stand back and look at it. That's that's a decent, I want to steal that from the late, amazing Sidney Lumet and say that's kind of a legacy. That's a legacy descriptor, one I like. If you go into the mosaic of legacy, you may see some tiles are more beautiful, some tiles are yet less beautiful, some tiles are discolored where you thought they were shiny and shiny where they discolored, but placed adjacent to one another, they form a thing. It can be an abstract thing. It can be a realistic thing. There's no straight line. There's no straight path. There's no straight legacy. I'm curious, though, there's so many complex biorhythms within it. We're in an age now where public figures, not simply artists, but we're, we're asking the question, does it matter what you do, what you create, who you are? Should we separate things from the people who create them? How much are decisions important 
to our legacy? Is it fair to look at a legacy in process? Does one need to be dead to examine one's legacy or the legacy of others? Do you see how maddening this all is? Good God, I'm exhausted. We're only a few minutes into this. Before we bring in you, God, I was thinking about this today, and I'm sure a lot of listeners to the show have had a teacher or a mentor or a friend or a family member recount this anecdote or put them in the throes of this idea. I remember my AP English teacher one day to start class posed the question, when do we die? And there was a hush. You know, when you're dealing with high school seniors, we all think we knew the answer. And no one really did because it's a, it's a question that takes your breath away, no less your words. And it's scary. And that's another part of legacy that makes it a very third rail sensation. It's scary because it puts you face to face with death. <laughs> it, it, there's, you cannot, you cannot, whether it's the death of a career or a body, legacy puts you in touch with loss. Back to AP English, we go. So my AP English teacher, Mrs. Grattan, asked, when do we start to die? When do you start to die? And there was a considerable silence, and there were some really amazing answers. I, I gave an answer. I don't even remember, and that's probably, that probably tells you how shitty the answer was. Someone did answer this, which is the correct answer. A guy named Michael McCaffrey raised his hand, and Michael said, as soon as you're born. And what's interesting about that answer is it's true. The teacher acknowledged it was true, and also Michael was a student that didn't talk a lot. And thinking, you know, you God of Wu-Tang Clan, you know, we don't, we haven't really heard from him much artistically or probably as much as he would have liked over the years or, you know, fans of the Wu, you know, he's one of the silent members or one of the members along with Inspector Deck maybe, uh, you know, who are probably the least vocal and have authored the least art into the world thus far. It's not over yet, but thus far. So there's some synergy between silence and wisdom, maybe. I was also thinking the uh, Oliver Stone movie, The Doors movie, was based on John Densmore's book. And it's funny, if you watch that movie, you can definitely see Kevin Dillon, who plays John Densmore. There's occasional close-ups of, of Kevin Dillon, and it kind of reaffirms this idea that what you're seeing is through his eyes. Right? So it's always the silent ones, isn't it? So we die as soon as we're born. So our legacy starts there. It's not the recollection of the totality of everything. It's legacy is legacy is the thing. It's not the skin the snake shed. It's the shed skin and the snake. But there is a piece of legacy that we can deal with, or there is a piece of contribution that we can deal with. Again, it's it's confusing and vexing because how do we assess the how do we assess the contribution of something that's done but but yet continues? So with groups, right? Paul McCartney is still making music, but the Beatles have made music. And Paul McCartney would want you to separate the two. We can't. You know, I think what we could do is take the whole legacy talk out of the public world. And this is what also makes it really heavy <laughs> because you don't have to be a public person to, to, to think about your legacy. I wouldn't consider myself a public person. I think about my legacy. And legacy 
isn't always the objective. It's the subjective. It could be children. It can be an organ you donate. You know, do we need an audience to have a legacy? Can a, If a legacy falls in the forest, does it still become a legacy if no one is there to hear it or acknowledge it? Ah, oh, man, I got a headache. What have I said over these last 10 minutes? <laughs> it is one of the most obese albatrosses we can wear. Public people remind us of it, you know, because we're in a eulogy nation now. When people pass, we eulogize them when, via Twitter, even though we didn't know them. And famous people like to eulogize other famous people because it adds to their cachet. So we are more in touch with legacy, but in a way, we are, we are tightening the screws invisibly. We are making it harder to make decisions because everything now is red meat. That's why I know when I bring you got in to talk about Wu-Tang's le- legacy and his legacy, it's only the parts I have access to. And that makes maybe public figures an even more complex frog to dissect when we talk about legacy because they have two masks of legacy, public and private, as do we. We all have this inner, outer, public, private legacy. And then you take someone like You, God, and there's other legacies stitched into it. So You, God writes a book called Raw, and that's only his perspective on Wu-Tang and on his life. And You, God isn't his given name. It's Lamont Hawkins. I wonder who still calls him Lamont Hawkins. Well, I'll ask him. So it's maddening. Are you mad yet? I don't mean maddening in an angry way. You may be angry, but it's a a bottomless well. And when we leave the terrestrial plane, other people reconcile our legacy. Other people determine our legacy, and they often romanticize it. We romanticize people who are gone. And for people who make unromantic decisions, there is a tendency to romanticize them, especially with musicians, Uh, you know, especially in in America. We are great with forgiving after the fact. We'll burn you in the moment and then praise you after the fact. And it seems like outside outside the United States, it's almost the opposite. There's more of a forgiveness and a leniency uh, towards behavior of a kind, and maybe afterwards there's more circumspection. Thinking about some privately, meditating a little bit on the book, and thinking about you, God coming into this world. His mother was raped. You, God, was a product of that rape. I mean, that's an astounding review. That's an astounding thought. How other people can make contact with our legacy, and we'll never get all those points of view. When you God was a kid, when Lamont was a kid, there was so much death and loss around him, he considered being an embalmer. He was he was fascinated by corpses. But let's not think of legacy as a corpse. Let's think of it as a skin, a thick skin, a resilient skin, a skin that no two people will touch the same way, no two people will view the same way. No two people have ever seen the same thing the same way. Take that to the bank. The color red doesn't look the same way to two people or to three people. So legacy is laughable to think we can determine it. So (laughs) I laugh our way into today's episode. Legacy, you God of the Wu-Tang Clan is with us. Now this. You know, I think I may have an idea what's causing his behavior, Peter. Look at all this stuff. 
Ugh, listen to these lyrics. I rip it hardcore like porno flick bitches. I roll with groups of ghetto bastards with biscuits. Oh, look, they got a translation for white people. I give 110% when it comes to helping my community, even though I occasionally associate with some less than reputable characters. The most precious thing in the world is the financial security and well-being of your family. You want to send your little ones to the best schools, and in the end, know that you've left them with peace of mind. Nowadays, we all know that cash rules everything around us. Cream, get the money, dollar dollar bill, y'all. That's why it's time to enter the 36 chamber and step to the Wu. Wu-Tang Financial. At Wu-Tang Financial, we'll work with you to devise the best plan for you and your fam. I mean, Smith Barney, bunch of bitches. Old time farts. You gotta know how to jack this You gotta play this game rough, you know what I mean? And out, get, grab, bunk. You need to diversify your bonds, nigga. Military is blowing up. You about to go to war? Invest in some nuclear bombs. This ain't trading places, nigga. This is real life. Protect your goddamn neck, all right? Routine financial, the place for you and your kids. All of our trusted consultants are here to meet your needs. Unfortunately, the old dirty bastard couldn't make it today, but he sent his regards. So call us, because at the end of the day, Routine Clan ain't nothing to with. about legacy you know I, I tell my film students that all movies are documentaries and I think the best records are documentaries best albums are documentaries and I think it's especially true in hip-hop where 
The lyrics come direct from the story and the heart. A great philosopher once wrote that time is a motherfucker. Time reveals shit. It wears things down and it breaks things. This was a smart man. Unfortunately, we have this philosopher with us today. He wrote this incredible book called Raw, My Journey into the Wu-Tang Clan. And it's called Raw because Raw is going to give it to you with no trivia. It's a story of nine killer bees who struck a match to the underground and the whole industry ignited. There's RZA, the Razor, the Mastermind, Jizza, the Genius, Meth and ODB, the Performers, Inspector Deck, the Artist, Ghostface Killer, the Storyteller, Master Killer, the Natural, Raekwon, the Hustler, and today we have the Ambassador, a.k.a. Zilla, a.k.a. Billy Grahams, a.k.a. Golden Arms, a.k.a. Hammer Jack. I think they should have called you the embalmer. I like that. I like that. That's a new name. I like that. Man. I need a name. Maybe I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it for a little while. Please welcome to Murmur today's keynote speaker. He is the universal God Allah. You God. Hey, what's up, God? How are you, man? Yeah, how you doing, that boss man? Who calls you Lamont anymore? Does anyone call you Lamont? My mother calls me Lamont. People that fuck around me, you know, that get on my nerves, call me Lamont. I, my, father, my wife would probably call me Lamont if I was to get married. <laughs> uh, Does anyone in uh, Wu-Tang call you that, or is it all God, you God, or just you? I call me Yui. Yui. I like that. Hey, congrats on the book. It's amazing, man. I tore through it like three times. It's amazing. You like it? You like it? Shit. I, it's um, it made me sad. I got to say, um, you know, it's full of so much optimism and and the recap of the whole story. But I didn't want to make it sad. No, man, it's all right. I'm sad by nature. We talk about legacy today. When I think of hip hop, a lot of songs are about reminiscing. You know, it's so amazing. The art form is is built for history. Are you a nostalgic person naturally, or did this force you to think back? I mean, do you think back a lot? Well, I am some. I'm somewhat a nostalgic person because I grew up in an era where, where hip hop was molded and shaped to the form it is now. I like I like old stuff, but I like new stuff. I'm not I'm not hip hop in the first place. Like stuck in time. There's an expression in uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. They say uh, you can look back, but don't stare. When you were thinking of putting the legacy down, why did you want to do it as a book? Why do this as a book and maybe not a movie or some other format? Because one, you don't think you don't really you don't really talk about me that much. Two, need a foundation. If you ain't got a foundation to build on, you ain't got no house. Mm. And being the quiet one in the group, I was time for me to tell my story. Because everybody has like a character for it. Yeah. You know, both got a character, that's got a character, Brad Dirty and all that stuff. So I don't know. People don't know me because I'm, like, I'm the quiet one. I'm the, one that, I'm the underrated one. I mean, I'm the underdog. So I had to tell my story. I had to tell my story. And, and for years, my story has been hidden. And it was time, it's time to tell that story. Well, you, you know, they say it's always the quiet ones, man. What's been the reaction from the other members? Have you gotten any feedback on the fact that you wrote a book? Was, was, was there support? Was there, like, doubt? Was there don't do it? Was there any kind of hesitation? What's been the feedback from Wu-Tang? You know, I wrote a book, and everything was all good, and all good, and all good. Really, that ain't true. No that shit. People nowadays are not as stupid as people think they are. People can see shit, people can hear shit, people can put things together on them, by themselves. So, now it's now the time, like, you know what? That's why you gotta tell your story. So now the truth can come out now and people can respect you, like, yo, you know what? That's why, he, that's why, okay. Damn, so I didn't know he would do all that. Wow, wow, okay, ooh, ooh, okay, now it makes sense. Like, what's going on? This is why certain things happen, this is why things transition this way. This is why I went through that way. I had to go this way. I didn't get help doing this. 
I didn't get help for doing that. I told nigga not to do that, but he did that anyway. You know what I'm saying? I just told you to break down. Has RZA read it? Do you, have you heard if uh, RZA's read it? Yeah, he, he said something. some things. Anything shock you about his reaction? Were you able to talk to him? Did he? I mean, it's complicated now, right? Because there's legal stuff going on, and and what's interesting about the book, I think, as well, is you wrote it, and there is litigation going on. You know, before the book came out, so I thought that was really brave and really risky. Has Rizzo sent you any note specifically, or any anybody from his team contacted you about the book explicitly? Nope, nope. Over five ten minutes about it. I said what I had to say. He said what he had to say. That was that. Have you heard from Meth or uh, Raquan or uh, Ghostface or or uh, Capadonna, any of those guys? You know, we, we talk for the time to talk. Man. Other than that, we just, you know, just be doing our thing, man. We're grown men right now. We've been together since we were five, ten years old, man. And we're doing what they got to do. And, uh, you know, we're doing what we do. I told you that the book made me sad, and I think life makes me sad this way. You know, you you guys grew up, you literally went through blood, sweat, and tears together. You went through as much as any human beings can go together. And now there's a point, not just for you guys, but for other artists, where you or for married people. You know, you're talking through lawyers. Does that? I mean, do you ever do you ever say to yourself, "Fuck the lawyers"? I just want to talk to my old friend. You know, I'm sick. I'm sick of it. No? No, that's not. There's no more talk. There ain't no talk. There's nothing to talk about. Like, it's like a past point. It's a past point of talk. I don't talk. First of all, me personally, I don't talk. If I say one thing one time, I say it twice. If I say it a third time, then usually I, I, go, to the, I go to get my gun. Now I can't go get my gun no fucking more, so I got to go get my lawyer. It's, it's, it's the same concept. Ain't no talking. Ain't no time to talk. Past point of return, because before when I wanted to talk, who might want to talk to me? Now you're gonna talk your way out of some shit. That's why every that's why I don't like talking to motherfuckers. Motherfuckers always trying to talk their way out of something. Nah, ain't nobody talking. It's not time, it ain't time to talk. I'm gonna talk to myself. But trust me, they, they could be a little more crazy. I could be on the internet saying, oh, this, that, the other, I could be shit the whole hellstorm right now. I ain't doing that. Boy, it's no sense to me doing that. It's no sense to me doing that. I don't have no time to do that. Like I said, let those always handle the shit. Always gonna take care of it. And then we talk. No one to come to come to negotiation. That's it. We're with you, God. Sorry, ma'am. I'm just, you know why I'm talking? Most people always try to talk themselves up out of some shit. I don't talk. We're supposed to talk to police because police you say you're gonna talk to yourself about a police shit. No, you're not. Of all the members of Wu Tang, I think in a way your book speaks the loudest because, as you say. You, you've been using other ways to speak, and I think that's really brave of you. It's interesting. Wu Tang Clan started eight years before Thirty Six Chambers, you know, which is real curious. It's not like Thirty Six Chambers was the beginning. That was just when we first knew about you guys creating. But you know, you grew up in a pretty rough region of New York. I'm a New Yorker, but. I think I went through Brownsville once by accident. That seemed to inform a lot of this Wu-Tang journey, your upbringing. Is that fair to say? Well, you know, New York City itself was the uh, major, the foundation of all our upbringing. So, um, you know, we got Brooklyn, we got Staten Island, and we got the Bronx. You know I mean? Deckers from the Bronx. And, um, you know, the rest of us is from, um, you know, Method Man's from Long Island. But, you know, he's, he's on Staten Island, too. But, you know, me, Genius, Ray, and um, uh, Kappa, you know, all of us have Brooklyn, Brooklyn roots. 
Did you ever run into Mike Tyson? Didn't Mike Tyson almost steal your? Did, now you got to conclude this, man. Did Mike Tyson take your mom's earrings? He's from Brownsville. Set the set the. I know. I know. <laughs> the day, you know, she split, she split up and down, and it was him. <laughs> yeah, you know, she's she she like, man, that was that. She saw him on TV. And he, you know, finally became the champion of the club. I was like, that motherfucker right there is the one who ripped my earrings out of my ears. That's my place on Pickett Avenue. I'll never forget this motherfucker saying like a little bulldog. You know what I mean? But, you know, that's what she story say. But I'm saying, well, okay. Then when I found out he was from Brooklyn, he's from his Hickory Possible Stroke. You were a latchkey kid, and then you moved to Park Hill, uh, Killer Hill. What was Staten Island like at that time? I don't think a lot of people nationally know enough about Staten Island. Staten Island's its own universe, man. How would you describe Staten Island to people who had never been there? You are exactly right. Staten Island is definitely its own universe. It's its own little entity outside of New York City. And uh, it's, 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 it's a weird environment. It's very small, but at the same time, it has uh, different sections of different projects. You got Park Hill, you got Stapleton, you got New Brighton, you got West Brighton, you got Mass Harbor, you got Paul Richmond. These are all the black, black neighborhoods, like, you know, um, the hoods, you know, these are all the um, hoods that, um, you know, take up predominantly all black areas. You know what I'm saying? So these are the areas we, you know, we circulated, I circulated uh, in and out, you know, after my life, you know, my first, my first half of my life, my teenage years. And basically, you know, it was wild, man. It was just a little wild little town, you know, small towns like real dangerous, man, you know, any place, even if you go into rural America, small towns like real, really, really fucking hard. And people think, people think big cities are hard. Big cities are hard. When you're from a small town, you can't really disappear. You know, everybody knows where you're at. Everybody knows your family. Everybody knows how you, you know, who you are. You can't run away from your problems. You usually gotta keep your head on, and it, and, it, and it usually results into violence. You know what I'm saying, and um, that's just how we were raised. Yeah, it's it's like the Wild West, man. I mean, you know, it's it's uh. You know, I know a lot of the Wu-Tang imagery comes from Shaolin and, and martial arts, but I, I think a lot of it, it's kind of like... Well, well, let me tell you something about that. I, I never liked the terminology Shaolin. I don't know about all that. I'm sat down. All that monk stuff, you know, I don't, that, that's business for that's not my That's not my lane. So, but came with Shaolin and, you know, some Buddha monk stuff, you know, Wu-Tang orientated. But other than that, you know, it's wow, valid. Wild in Staten Island. I like that. Uh, we're talking about you, God. Uh, you, you know, talk about the projects, and this is a word people throw around a lot, and I don't think you can understand unless you've been through it, you know, or if you lived it. And you said something really cool in the book. You said, projects are the slum within the slum. Can you talk a little bit about that, man? Can you just give your own definition of what a project is and what a slum is? Slums are like the lowest part of, of society, you know, and the conditions are run down. You know, people don't take care of the environment. You know, they piss in the elevators. They, they do, they only sell drugs. They do all type of stuff. They shoot. It's violent. I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, the violence that's going on in America, you know, on road, where there's kids are shot, you know, 17 kids in school. You know, you know, being black, people walk around that all the time. That's going to cause those kids, you know, that's going to cause those kids to have post-traumatic stress disorder. They're going to have PTSD behind that. You know what I mean? They're never going to be the same ever again after that situation. And um, we, we get to taste that in, in, in the black community every day. I mean, every day, but somebody's getting shot, guns are going off, and we have to live in those conditions every day. So I feel for the families that that happened through down there with the kids, man, and it, it was it's very, it's very, these things are starting to leak out to America like that. The whole America is coming to Trump. It's like, and it's like kids can't go to school, and guns are going off everywhere. It's like, it's, it's just getting out of hand, you know? And, and these 
these situations are what happen in, in slums all the time. You, you talk a lot about uh, no that you've been marked. Uh, you know that that you, it's hard for you to be friends. It's hard for you to bring people close into your world. It's hard, you know. When I think of your story, just let me lay it out a little bit for people listening. You, you were a baby of a rape, which is really an intense way to br- be brought into this world. Um, yeah. And and you know, there's so many parts of your story, man. When you were a kid, you know, selling coke, selling crack and having a gun on you basically from 14 through 22 you know all this stuff you ended up in Rikers and upstate downstate every other kind of prison you could be in you know it's funny how the things can either kill you or make you stronger I know that sounds fucking cliche but what part of you inside has kept you going what's been your core and don't, don't get twisted everybody has the moment of feeling, feeling down and feeling out and all that but the drive my, it's like the era of the 70 babies the 70s kids you know, we have a different drive. You know, yeah. we had a different drive. We had to we had to do things. Our parents were a little more stricter, and uh, we grew up a little more harder, rougher. You know what I mean? It's like you know, I'm looking at a lot of stuff going on with bullies, and 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 be, you know, we we when we got bullied, we either you either had to fight the bully, or you, you just pay, you basically just ran away from them. You know, you went the other direction. You know what I'm saying, so you know, just growing up in my era, we had different codes and morals and in certain situations we follow, we live by. And, um, you know, the determination to get money, that was always our determination. Because, you know, like I said, the cash moves everything around me. That's a real, that's a real record. That's a real song. That means a real, that, that was basically what we came to realize at a very young age that this whole world is run on money. And that's what it's about. So if you want to be, you know, successful in this, in America, you have to go after that money. We're non-public people, you know, we're black. Came from that. That's what you know and understand your situation and your environment. You kind of like, you know what? I'm not settling for this. I'm not going for this. I'm go. I'm going all out. I'm going all out, kid. I mean, and just I'm going all out to get this bread, man. And that's what a lot of kids are doing. You know what I mean? Some of them resort to selling drugs. Some of them go resort to uh, you know to, to, to better themselves. Some go into the air forces. Some some get truck drivers. Like some start their own businesses. Some just start families and just you know live a normal life. You know what I mean? But to drive and, and, and want to be successful in different types of success. You got to dream it, you know. And so if you want to dream to be an actor, you got to go for it. If you want to dream to be a musician, you got to go for it. If you want to dream to be uh, air, uh, you want to fly airplanes, you got to go for it. You got to go for everything. You got to go for everything. You got to put 100% focus in it. And if you ain't doing that, you ain't really doing nothing. So yeah. Yeah. stuff right there in the projects talking about this, that, the other, and you can say that all day long, but if you ain't going for what you know, basically, you know, you're lost cause in my world. You know, I was thinking about what what people do when things are tough, and you start looking at Wu-Tang a little bit. You and Meth seem to be real close in the early days. I learned that you guys worked for the Statue of Liberty. That fucking blew my mind. Yeah. <laughs> I love yeah, that. I yeah. love the fact that immigrants come into this country seeing you, yeah, God, no, and no, Method no, Man. Nah, Meth used to work there. He was working there. He worked there way longer than I did. I only worked there like two and a half years. He worked there like five years. I think you know, that that'd be you know, cool, man, to see him when you're jumping off, when you're getting off the boat at Ellis Island. See Method Man. Hey, man, welcome to America. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know that, that was that is, he used to run that. He used to run that whole spot. You know what I mean? He, after I left, he just took over. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, you know that's this way he used to do. Man. So, you know, then after that, he took the job and he was to speak with me. Yeah. That's it, how we got close. So, me and him, he didn't have a job. He was down and out. I came and got him, and I you know I mean, went through our little 
adventures of being in the streets together. You know, the story of Wu-Tang Man is also the story of you being the glue. You know, you help meth out a lot. Uh, and I'm not going to, you may not say that, but I'll say it. And meth is great. You know, there's no debate, but, um, that was my little rhyme, by the way. Uh, you know, you, All right, well, I, want you I want you to understand something. Yeah. Help. I helped him out and he also helped me out. Yeah. Okay. I'm this, I'm the dog. I could listen. If this was a Batman or Robert situation. Right. You know what I'm saying? I hear you. And sometimes Batman is paid by Robert. And that's what's interesting about the group. Um, you know, there's been a kind of real interesting tension of creation and and inspection, you know, with, with one another. Where do you think of the beginning of the Wu-Tang story? Do you think it's that, you and Meth, or do you think it's that when you first met Riz at the, at the block party? Where do you think the essence of the story of Wu-Tang starts? Where's you can't say, all right, see, the part, that's the problem, because, you know, with the Wu-Tang story, we are not, we can't start when we, when we, when we was, when we was, um, can't start teenager drug selling. That was that. Can't do that. Can't do it. You got to go, you got to go back further as kids. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and work your way up. And that, that, that's how you put it together. You know what I'm saying? I know how to put it together. I know how everybody was moving and how everybody was shaking and jobbing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. And, that's, and that's just what it is, man. You know, but the story, you know, the story starts from humble beginnings, really, you know, really humble beginnings until until just just growing up in the hood. Right? You know what I mean? And, and um, you know, everybody has a story to tell. You know, you talk about hanging out at Riz's crib, as you say, that was your lab, that was your sanctuary. Do you, do you think about those times a lot now, or does that seem like a dream? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, that was that was that was a part of us growing up and having a place to go. It was out of bounds but you know that's, that's what Riz is about that's, the, that's, what, that's what we love about it. you know what I mean sometimes you know you want to portray a certain way but at the same time niggas love you for a certain reason that, that's, that's why we loved him because he was, uh, he was he wasn't he wasn't a gangster he was not a okay? he was always a, a dude about his business and you know he was always on top of his game but one of the most intelligent persons on the island okay? and so that's what, that's what we fabricate because he loved his mind his mind was great that's why we still fuck him to the day, even though he's a fucking meathead sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> we all are, man. Uh, we, no one's perfect. You know, if, if we were perfect, uh, life wouldn't be any fun, man. You, you, you also talk about in the book how Rizzo was smart enough to bring on some really hardworking guys into the crew. You know, and that that's a key part of this. When he put when the Wu Tang got together, it wasn't just talented guys, because as you know, there's a, there's a world full of talented people. But at that time, it seems like he was assembling some hardworking guys. Is that more or less the way you you think of it now? That you had a certain work ethic, and that kind of made it click early on. That's right. That's another. That's another reason why. You know, like I said, he was soldiers. I was, I got this tattoo on my arm, stripes on my arm, because I was a street soldier. You know what I mean? I was a straight, hardcore street soldier. I'd get up. I didn't have nobody to get me up. I got up on my own. I got up on my own. I went uptown on my own. Everything is self-sufficient. Me and Meth was out there on our own. Meth used to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning on time every day. Working, working. We was always working. We was always had that work ethic. So we applied that to our music. And we just, you know, we put that work ethic in. And when you got a company like RCA back and you put millions of dollars in marketing money behind you, you have no other choice but to do that and, and just and just work and just work. It's a job. When Thirty Six Chambers came out, we're here with you, God. Uh, aside from you know the the confidence that it takes to put something out into the world, were you surprised at how how it landed? I mean, it really 
blew up in the sense of it crossed over into different. You know, now you guys had a following before, a little bit of a following before that. Riza and Jizza had uh, record deals, and it didn't quite work out, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah. And you guys had independently released some stuff. But when the when the record dropped, were you at all surprised? Was that like a dream? Uh, I wasn't surprised. I always knew my brothers had it in them. You know I mean, to me, in my in my eyes, you know, we had the greatest basketball team. Like literally, like our team was like a basketball team because we was rap. And to me, in my eyes, we had the greatest rappers ever assembled on the planet Earth. And to this day, I still feel the same way. I still feel the same way. You know what I mean? And and nobody ever going to do. Ain't nobody ever going to do that. You know, I was thinking about uh, why it became so successful, even into white communities. Um, you know, this is something in, in, you said in the book that I thought was so interesting. You said, uh, it's awesome when you have your mob behind you. It's like having a weapon you can't get frisked for. It's one of my favorite lines. And what's interesting about that is I think that goes beyond color in a way. You know, people like to feel like they got a community or a group or a crew, you know. And, I, you know, to, to speak as if you're not here, that seemed to be part of the revolution you guys had started, that we're, we're a collective do you think that was part of well, the we power? Was always, we was always together. You know, we grew up, like I said, we grew up as crew. We grew up around crews. But as we was growing up, you always had graffiti crews. You had, you had, you had Zulu Nation. You had Ball Busters. You had uh, BO5. You had FMF. You had always had crews growing up. I mean, and that's basically, we the children, we the children of that. So we just, we applied that to, you know, we applied that to, to this day. You know, we always grew up as a crew. It was always cool. We had BCC. And Baby Crash Crew, it was Paris Crew, it was Avenue Crew. You know what I mean? It was always a crew on the alley. You know what I mean? You no, know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Cash Money Brothers from um, the Harbor. You had all these, um, you had West Bank. You know, you had, you had Gladiator Posse. You had, um, you know, you had all these, all these, all these crews on the alley. You know what I mean? And um, it was always like that. So it doesn't seem no different. It doesn't seem no different than what we what we normally do. And we just apply that in front of the world. I mean, as far as it's crossing all types of genre of people, you know, music has that effect on people. Yeah. You know, it touches everybody. That's why music is so powerful and it's, it's so loved by so many because it, 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 people, everyday life, they're going through their struggles. Sometimes they need, sometimes words are uplifting. Yeah. Sometimes words are, you know, can bring about change and uh, can bring about vibrations. Yeah. The record dropped. It was huge. You, you guys traveled the world, and you talk about it in the book, which is so cool. How, you know, when you, when you grow up in Staten Island and and in you know those parts of of the world, the world is small, you know. But you guys were seeing all love all over the world, and and it seems like you and Meth, when you were kids on the street, kind of practiced for this moment that you guys had dreamed about performing for a lot of people. You know, it's, it's, it's a pretty amazing wraparound. Um, you know, I was thinking, and then you almost beat the shit out of Leonardo DiCaprio. Man, you should have done it. You would have, this would have been. Nah. <laughs> I'm teasing, man. <laughs> nah, I just, no, he just, he just was in a situation where, you know, he was talking to Q, he was talking to Q-Tip and he was ostracized. He thought ostracized out of, out of the fight because we didn't know him like that. Yeah, but we grew up. We grew up around Tip. You know, Tip from back in the day. Just happy to see him. He was just bouncing. You know, somebody talking, talking, talking. They got a friend with him, and and and, and the friend doesn't really introduce you. You know, you know he, he he didn't introduce to me, but he didn't throw out the other video. You know, this, the, 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 he you no, know, he ain't going like that. We just started talking. Kind of like he yeah, was on the he was on the outskirts. He said he didn't know how to handle it, but he said some little fucking shit. And I was like, what? 
you know, I just said, huh? you know, but I, but when I looked at when I looked at it later on, I was like, okay, it was just one of those moments where you know, if shoot to would have said, yo, leaving all this you guard, this ghost, yada yada yada, it might have turned out a little more better running in the situation. But later on, anyway, Meth came through with him in the studio anyway, and just you know, just you know, squashed a lot. I ain't get a chance to never see you know, part of me for all that deep and stuff. Right. He turned out to be a cool dude anyway. You know I mean, he grew, <laughs> he grew up, you know, he grew up to a man at the time he was still still young. And um, you know, he's a he's a grown man now. I'm pretty sure he's a totally different person than what he was well, from those days. Well, you know, you know, if you had done it, man, you could have altered cinema history forever. Maybe maybe I could have been in Titanic, you know, maybe you could have been in Titanic. But anyway, you're right. That's your, your I'm teasing, man. Your your next book will be about that. I a couple other thoughts before we let you go. You know, I was thinking about there's a a time after thirty six chambers came out, ninety three uh, Wu-Tang Forever in 1997. And what's interesting is in between that, there was solo stuff happening. Uh, Method had the first solo and then Raekwon and ODB had a solo. Gravediggers was happening with RZA. When you look back a little bit, do you think it would have been smarter to put the group's second record out before all the solo stuff? Do you think about that? Do you think that affected? Yes, yes, yeah. it, would, yes it would have been definitely way better for us to do that. To me, I always feel like those latch on it was it was draining our W. It was just it didn't have nothing to do with certain situations. But you know, you, you live and you learn. I mean, it was just it was trying to build catalog. I don't know what he was trying to do, but for me, it was distractions of what needed to be done. You need to focus on the nine, the eight, nine members. You know what I mean? And I always felt like, you know, that he didn't apply himself to do that. That's why me and Dad and Master Killer are situations we are in right now. You know what I mean? And he didn't take the time out to focus on us. That he focused on that stuff. I mean, that, that's, that's internal stuff, but we ain't gonna get into all that. But that's how we feel, you know what I mean? Yeah, because when you look at the history, it is a, between first and second record is a long time, and and the, it's not like nothing was going on. I think a lot of audience members don't realize that you guys didn't go away. Other stuff came in, and and that's tricky with groups, man. I mean, you know, forget Wu Tang. When you look at the history of, you know, let's say rock and roll for a second, it's hard to stay alive as a band. It's hard, and you guys had nine, and then Kappa became the tenth member, Capadonna. That's insane. Well, when you think about it, well, well, we got some, we got something from where we come from. You know, what I'm saying it's a different. You know, it ain't, it ain't we ain't purpose. It ain't come from no privilege. How old? And yada yada, you know what I mean? I'm not going back there. Even none of my, none of my brothers. Yeah. We gonna stick together as long as we got together. Just so we we never going back. And whatever we gotta overcome, whatever feelings we might have for each other, it's out the window. For yeah. real, because you know we, we it, it ain't that serious at the end of the day. Compared to where we came from, that shit was serious. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. No one wants to go through all that shit again. And you know that shit is nothing but death. Destruction back there, and, 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 and ain't nothing in the, in the slums is fucked up. And if you make it out of there, and you trans, you trans, you transform yourself out of that shit. You want to, you want to shoot that opened up his mind, opened up enough to where you can see shit the way it really is, and get the hell up out of there, and, and make a better life for your family or for you and yourself. But we did that. We ain't no turning back. So and it's only, it's only way, only way I'm getting out of this. No, I'm never getting out of this. I'm gonna keep doing this until I can't do it no more. Tell you the truth, you know. We talking about legacy today. Just a couple uh, last thoughts about this word legacy. You use the word; it's a beautiful word, and I think you make a great point. I mean, when you come from where you guys came from, what you came up from, the conditions you came up from, you're not going back. It's all in. 
you know, you push your chips to the middle of the table. And you actually said that in the book, that in 1993, Riza kind of sat you down and said, give me nine months. And you made a decision. And I think that's really important for listeners to hear that you made a decision. And you actually said that in the book. In 1993, you'd been in and out of jail. Uh, you'd been making some really bad decisions for yourself. And Riza sat you down and said, look, give me nine months. Get straight for nine months. Make good decisions for nine months. And we got this. And we're going to ride this out. But I need nine months. And you did. Like You could have made so many fucked up decisions, man. And, and maybe you did, like we all do. But you also made a decision to live, don't you think? I mean, yes. is that too poetic? No, no you're 100% right. You're 100% right. I made a decision to live. And that's exactly what Riza showed me that day. I'm going to leave eight, nine months. This shit ain't going nowhere, but you want me to live? You want me to live? All right, let's go. And he know, he know, he knew I was a soldier. You know, I'm a street soldier, bro. Once he threw me under his wing, bro, he know it wasn't nobody. He knew I was going, I was going to hold it down. To this day, I'm going to hold it down. The flag will not fall on the floor when I'm playing. When I'm on the court, that shit won't touch the floor. I ain't playing. That's how I am. You know what I mean? You put the flag in my hand, you're going to have to, you're going to have to pry it off that fucking whole court. You Right. Right. One, one or two melancholy notes. 2004, Old Dirty Bastard dies. Uh, he had demons. At the time, was there ever a talk that the Klan shouldn't go forward without ODB? Did you ever have a kind of meeting and say, maybe we're not Wu-Tang without ODB? Did you ever have that moment? Of course we have that moment. We always going to have that moment about our loss of our brother. But, you know, at the same time, we would be letting him down. And his family and his, and his legacy down if we just stopped. Because <laughs> we're supposed to stop, stop. Gotta keep, like I said, flag, gotta keep weight. You know, just like the USA flag, you know, I give them like many soldiers fall. God bless these soul. Many soldiers have fallen. That flag don't keep weight. You hear me? That's how it's always gonna be. And that's the same concept for everything you put your life on the line for. I mean, might gonna pick up a pick the flag, pick it up. That was beautiful, by the way. Um, I think you're a writer. I think you are a writer because of your work, but I just think you should keep writing books. I think you should be a teacher, but that's a different conversation. And you are a teacher. But um, you, know, you also say that maybe, I hate to live in maybes, but you posed this in the book and it jumped out that maybe things would be different even now if ODB was alive. And I'm not talking artistically. I'm just talking emotionally. Do you think Wu-Tang would be in a different, maybe more unified place if ODB was still with us physically? Um, I can't say that. I don't know what would happen. I don't know what happened. I don't know what would happen or how it would have turned out with ODB. You know, because everybody's different. Everybody has different, a different ego, a different mental state. You know, you can always sit here and talk about what could have, should have, would have. Right. What we should have been is sat his ass down and had an intervention. What we should have been doing it doing that as a fucking joke and just doing him in the rehabilitation. That's what we should have been. We should have been more strenuous on him. We should have been more, you know, uh, caring and trying to, the people around him should have been more, more on top of them to save his fucking life. You know what I mean? And just running loose and running wild like the way you let him run wild in certain situations with drugs, whatever, whatever. Is that we let them run wild. We let them do shit. You know what I mean? And we don't, we don't fight for their lives for them. Don't fucking kill yourself. You know what I'm saying? Get it together, motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? But, but people don't do that. I mean, people don't stand up for a motherfucker. You see a motherfucker self-destructive. I mean, they just let the motherfucker self-destruct. And motherfuckers who know, motherfuckers know what I'm fucking talking about. And that's what it is. And I'm and you gotta live with that shit now. I'm not gonna pro 
hold my lips no more. I'm not going to be here like yo, bro. I'm like, yo, nigga, you fucking up. Whether it be alcohol, drugs, wow with the fuck out, losing self-control, uh, whatever. I'm going to tell them, nigga, you out of pocket, you out of bounds. Get your shit together. Not, nah, nigga, you're going to force me. You're going to force my hand. You're going to force my hand to wrap around your fucking neck and hurt you. Yeah, or put you, I'm going to have to, oh, we're going to get niggas to come and get you, get you, and put you in those yellow jackets. And, 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 and that's, you're going to hate me at first. But then later on, when you when you get the head, you're going to take the save my life. I'm like, yeah, motherfucker. You're welcome. You know what I'm saying? Man. And that's the way it should be. Wow. Where it should be. That's hard, man. That's a hard it lesson. But that's a lot of pressure to put on yourself, isn't it, man? I mean, you, you, can we save another person's life? Do you think someone can save someone else's life? Do you think that's possible? Hell yeah. yeah. Hell fucking yeah, you can save motherfuckers. If you got teachers jumping in front of bullets out here. Right. You got motherfuckers running around here doing all type of shit and, 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 and police running around here holding down law and doing all type of shit. Hell yeah, you can protect that shit. As I was asking the question, I realized how stupid it was because you've been shot. You've literally avoided death. Your son was medically dead twice on a on an operating right. table. So that I, I I meant that, you know, some parts of us are only for us, but I I, I completely understand what you're saying. I was th- <laughs> I was thinking about legacy, you know, and and just to wrap up some of the the end chapters of the book are so beautiful. You know, you you look to the future and I think that's important. I think legacy, you know, what's great about legacy is you guys are still alive, you're young men. You c- continue to communicate the positivity of the mission of the Wu-Tang, the purity of the Wu-Tang. So as we close today, I guess two questions. One, can it ever get back to that? Can the nine and ten of you, or the nine of you now, and ODB with, with you, certainly in the music, because you said you'll always honor ODB in your music. Can the nine of you and, and really get back to that pure place? Nah. Nah. Don't, even, don't ask you why, because I ain't with all that. That's too much, bro. I don't think it happened like that. It's, a lot, it's too much. It's, it's a lot of stuff that comes along with it, man. But don't get it twisted. I don't mean it can't happen. <laughs> the way you thinking about it, I don't know. But, you know, it can probably happen a different way. It's, it's, it's going to take a little something. Some people got to get rid of their ego. And, you know, it's, it's all ego thing. It's all ego and pride. And there's always some of that shit going on, you know. And that's just what it be. Sometimes, like I said, sometimes it might just take some motherfucker to just get up and just do some shit. You know, that's what it always is, too. You got to stand up and just do some shit. You know what I mean? And that's, that's the part of being a grown-up. The responsibility sometimes is in the hands of the grown-up to actually get up and do some shit. Well, you know, your your stuff, and I think you say in the book, just as we say goodbye to you, and thank you, man, it's been an honor, a real honor. You know, what, what you say in the book, and it's interesting, you're a victim of your legacy, and you're proud of your legacy, in the sense of, you know, we haven't even talked about your solo work, and, you know, it's funny, because that's the thing with artists, we always expect the old stuff. And also, you said with Wu-Tang Clan, there's also this, when you're in concert, you're asked to just do the old stuff. So what is the legacy? What Here's a tough question for you to end on, man. You know, if you never get back to that place, and I'm just going to say one thing to you, and I think you know this is true. The real fans of the Wu know when the bullshit Wu records come out, know when the good ones come out. You know, the real Wu-Tang catalog and all this other stuff. Because I think it's criminal when Wu-Tang records get put out and you're not on them and all this other stuff. And it's not just about you when meth isn't on something. You know what I'm saying? I think there's all this posing. So... If you never get back to that place of purity, what is the Wu's legacy? What what has the Wu given the world? I don't know. I think I think we gave inspiration. Get together, 
be a unit and to, to, and to fight and to overcome things that, you know, it ain't always going to be easy. It ain't going to be, it ain't going to be a straight, narrow road for no one. And at the end of the day, we won't be representing the unity of our, of our race and, and trying to stick together through all the trials and tribulations of what we've been through. And hopefully, we inspire other people, other tribes, to stick together also. You know what I mean? They try to do the same thing for their, for, for their people. It's just, it's just, it's still, it's still, it's still a work in progress. Still a work in progress. I can't really give you the exact. It's going to be a, the exact legacy, but at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, there you have it. That's when you're going to have it. It's going to be sitting there right in front of you, like, wow, you're going to sit back and see all the work and all the things, the books, the the joints, the heads, the that, this, this, the building, the foundation, the kids, the safe things, this, all that. From how the one holds a little data bank, I'm like, wow. As we say goodbye, my thought of Wu, if I die tomorrow, the Wu, you know, no matter what your religious belief is, this idea of faith, there's always something a little bigger than you. And that's what Wu Tang to me is. You know, no matter all the, the legal stuff and the artistic stuff and the people changing and the managers and the lawyers, you guys created something that, yeah, you were the best basketball team in the world, and you may still be, and you're Voltron, and all these other metaphors that you guys have used. But to me, you show that no matter who you are and what you believe in, there's always something a little bigger than you. Wu-Tang makes me feel that way, and I think you guys did that. So I want to thank you. When you're ready to do that Wu-Tang documentary, the film style, let me know, man. And if I can help in any way, I'll be only humbled yeah. to help you out. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Hey, man. Thank you for having me. Thank you for taking the time out to, uh, you know, to interview me and exchange energy and all that goodness and spread the word to the universe and all that. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you very much. All good things to you and the kids. Very much. You too, man. Be the best to your family, you and yours. Be well, my friend. Oh, and uh, Wu-Tang forever.
life as a shorty shouldn't be so rough But as the world turned, I learned life was hell Living in the world no different from a cell Every day I skate from chase, giving chase, selling bass Smoking bones in the staircase Though I don't know why I chose to smoke cess I guess that's the time when I'm not depressed But I'm still depressed And I ask, what's your work? Ready to give up so I seek the old earth Who explained working hard may help you maintain To learn to overcome the heartaches and pain You got stick up kids, corrupt cops And crack rocks and spray shots All in a block that stays hot Leave it up to me while I be living proof To kick the truth to the young black youth But shorties running wild, smoking cess, drinking beer And ain't trying to hear what I'm kicking in his ear Neglected for now, but yo, it got to be accepted That what? The life is hectic So my apologies for that less than optimal phone connection with you, God, but to me, it came through loud and clear. <laughs> Legacy is complex. It's better to be complex than complicated, though, no? I want to thank you, God, for being here with us today on Murmur. I want to thank you for being here with us today on Murmur. You could be with us every week. You can be with us every day, really. Wouldn't that be nice? iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, the website, Murmur Radio, M-U-R-M-U-R Radio.com Social handles at MSF Murmur Twitter, Instagram Follow us, pass us around We won't break We're made of tough stuff, tough skin If you want to work in the circus You need a tough hide See ya